Well, how's everybody this morning? Hanging in there? Why don't you open up with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to finish up chapter 8 and chapter 9 this morning. You remember that uh, the last time that we were together, we talked about the fact that sometimes there are certain subjects that come up within a church that people freak out a little bit about. One of those subjects is about giving. Everybody gets nervous, you know, about whether or not uh, um, they're giving what they think they ought. And everybody wants to know what amount should I give? How much should I give? And, and what we see the scripture teaching is this. We talked about it last time that we are to follow God in obedience to, to his heart and his attitude. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. He gave. We want to follow that same attitude, an attitude of generosity. God didn't give his least, he gave his best. He gave his only begotten son. And he calls us as his children to follow in like manner, that we would have that same type of attitude that, that the Lord had in, in his giving. So as we take a look at Second Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, it's, it's one of the, the areas in the scriptures that uh, each chapter focuses in on giving and what giving's all about. And as we take a look, he's going to begin, and we're going to pick it up at about verse 16 of chapter 8, where he says, Now, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Listen, he's going to lay out for us this. He's going to lay out for us what are the qualifications for those who would handle the money. Paul's gathering up an offering, and he's taking it to Jerusalem. Remember, the church of Jerusalem was called by God to bring all things in common. We saw it in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 4 and 5. We see them bring all these things in common. Well, one of the things that happened was as they brought in all their, they sold everything they had, they brought it all in common, and there was a, a period of time where everybody's needs were being met, and then all of a sudden they didn't have anything. The money was gone, bills were piling up, people weren't able to make it. And Paul, in his missionary journey, began to ask the other churches, Hey, if you're willing, will you give to help support the church in Jerusalem? The church from which all the others sprang. And so Paul, in asking this, he wants to lay out for them also, Hey, as we're bringing this offering to him, I want you to know we're not just giving this to some guy who's just, just running wild and loose with your money and he lays out for us the qualifications if someone's going to receive an offering if they're going to take an offering for a place like in this circumstance jerusalem this is how they ought to be this is how it ought to be he lays out for us this first requirement first that the, the person who's receiving the money has a god-given desire to serve titus is going to be receiving the offering and he says, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Titus felt called that this was his mission field. One of the ways that we've experienced this in our own fellowship, you remember a few weeks ago, the Bostocks came to visit. They, they presented uh, uh, the music that, that God had laid on their heart, and they laid out for us a mission field in Vietnam. And in that mission field, after their service was concluded, there was a love, love offering taken for the, for the Bostocks, that they would uh, receive that gift for which they felt called of God to go and be a part of that ministry. They received that gift, and that gift is moving forward from our body to Vietnam. In the same way, Paul gathering this gift that's going to, to Jerusalem to help the church of Jerusalem, he says, man, Titus, he's the guy. God laid it on his heart. He's taking it. Paul's saying, I'm not getting it. And one of the things that Paul was, was taking heat for was this attitude that they said, well, Paul just coming so he can get your money. You ever felt that way about somebody? He just wants your money. It just is a, it's this big show about about receiving money for himself. And Paul wanted to be above reproach. So what did he say? I'm not even collecting it. Titus is getting it. He's called by God. And we're going to see two other guys that are going to travel with Titus. Titus doesn't do it on his own. Some of you may remember when Billy Graham was just getting started. 
and he re would receive the offering for his evangelism crusade, and then he would take that offering and make a deposit in the bank. And so as he was bringing that offering one day, he was in a convertible, and in the back of the convertible was a couple of sacks that had money in it, and somebody took his picture. And they make a caption in the paper like Billy Graham's taking everybody's offering and running off with it. So Billy Graham changed the way he did things. Never again did he receive it. Never again did he make the deposit. There were men that God raised up. They counted the money. They put the, together the deposit. They put the deposit in. And it wasn't on him. It's above reproach. That's what Paul's saying here. Same way we do things here. I, I don't rush off and count the offering. And then I don't take the offering and run down to the bank with it in the backseat of my car. There are faithful people that God has placed that ministry on their heart, called of God to do a work of God, and that's what he's saying. One of the first qualifications in being those that would handle the money. It's like Titus. He was more diligent to do it. It was a call. God had placed this upon his heart. It goes on in verse 18. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel through all the church. And we see the next the next point, now this guy, the next two guys, they're not named. Nobody knows who they are. You know, sometimes you'll fulfill a ministry within the body of Christ and nobody will ever know you did it. And it's really a gut check and a heart check for you because if I'm doing the ministry so that other people will know I'm doing the ministry and that's my motivation, Jesus said, you have your reward. He said, whenever you do your charitable works, don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing. That means not to sound the trumpet, not to look for the adoration of the people. And here in this circumstance, we see two fellows, we'll never know who they are. And somewhere, I promise you, in seminary and Bible college, there are a group of guys sitting in a library arguing about who they are. Who knows? You're never going to answer the question because Paul doesn't tell us. But what he does tell us is important. What is his attitude? whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. What were their focus? Was the focus about the money? No, the focus was about the spreading of the gospel, the good news. Jesus Christ, God of very God, became man, walked in our shoes, bore our burden upon the cross, died for us, paid the price for our sin, and in faith, by putting our trust in Him, we can have a relationship with God. That was the focus. The heart of the men who were taking the offering to Jerusalem was the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had a burden for the lost. It was all about Him. All about honoring the Lord. And so these guys, this was one of the qualifications that they had. Their desire was, or their priorities were, always straight. The priority was Jesus Christ. We'd studied already as we went through the books, as we go through... Actually, if you come three days a week, three times a week, to Calvary Chapel Buell, in another probably three or four years, you will have studied every book, every verse, every chapter in the Bible. Because we go through book by book, verse by verse... Sunday morning, going through the New Testament. Sunday night, through the prophets. If you're into prophecy and you're a prophecy buff, we're going through Isaiah right now on Sunday nights. And on Wednesday nights, we're going through the law, the, the Pentateuch. Uh, right now, we're in the book of Numbers, uh, where the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness. What's the, the point to all that? It keeps our priorities straight. What's the main thing? The main thing is Jesus. That's the main thing. And so that was the attitude of these guys, man. The main thing is about, it's all about Jesus, keeping our priorities straight. The good news of the gospel must be our main purpose behind everything, is, is that we are called to be his witnesses, aren't we? Doesn't he call us in the book of Romans to be a living sacrifice? What does he say about it? He says, present our bodies a living sacrifice... Holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is our reasonable act of worship. It's how we worship. We present our bodies to Him. This is what He's calling to. Keep our priorities straight. In verse 19, not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, 
which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. The third thing that they were to have if they were handling the money was an, an attitude that said, we want to honor God. Not about self. It's not about anything else. It's all about the Lord. It's got to be all about him. The attitude is everything. Attitude and giving is all that God cares about. You know that, right? Because when we study Jesus, as Jesus was standing in the temple, it says he was watching how people gave. He wasn't watching what they gave. We put way too much emphasis on what you give and not enough emphasis on how. The Bible tells us Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. That Jesus gave himself with joy. How does God want us to give? With joy. With that same attitude that this is an opportunity for me to show God Almighty that He is in that rightful place in my life. That He's on the throne. As, as I look to Him, as I give of myself, as I give of my material blessings, as I give of my time to the Lord. He, it's an opportunity for me to honor him. For those who were called to, to partake in this offering, they had to have a desire to honor God, to focus on God. And so he goes on to tell us, and in verse 20, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered to us. Got to be above the board. Not running around with money in the back of the car. Billy Graham learned that. We don't do that. Providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. He says, and finally, I want to make sure that these guys have a reputation for honesty. That they're honest people. That they're not ripping anybody off. That they are above board. What does he say? He says, providing honorable things. Not only in the sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men. Not only in, in our attitude and worship coming before Him, but every day. God wants us to be honest men, honorable men and women, people who live above board, not looking for that way to rip somebody off or to get over or to get by. But everybody else is doing it. So what? God wants us to live above board, not because we can say I'm holier than someone else, but that we would be honorable before him and before our fellow men. Not about holiness. We all fall short in that, don't we? But it's all about an attitude seeking to honor God in everything that we do. And if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. They had a cooperative spirit. They all were all working together. They were all focused together. Nobody was had any type of a, of a competition thing going on. I'm... I'm I think sometimes that's a little weird. Competition tends to bring out the, the worst in us. You want to you wanna see if that's true? Come play softball with Calvary Chapel Buell. <laughs> now, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to, to be harsh. I'm just saying competition, it, it can bring out the, the downright ugliest part of you. Competition can. Now, what's the point of that competition? Well, hey, it gives you an opportunity to come face to face with the dark side and rebuke it. <laughs> and then walk honorably before the Lord. And that's what God desires of us. That's what God calls us. He wants us to have a cooperative spirit working together. Working together for a common goal. Working together within missions. Working together to support. One of the things that God has, has, been, has put on this fellowship's heart is a, is a love and an attitude of wanting to help uh, orphan. That want to help those who are in need of uh, or feel called to the Lord to adopt. Or to help different orphanages. Or to help those who are a part of foster care. That's just something that God's laid on our heart. And as a church, we support that. We are, are doing the things that God has laid on our heart to be a part of all those things. And we're excited to be a part of it, but we're all in it together. It's something that God laid on us. Now, the, 
someone down the street may not have that same call. The Lord may have called them to do something totally different. Well, that's all right. We're part of the body of Christ. Each part fulfills its role. We're not all supposed to be cookie cutters. But we all want to cooperate. We all want to move forward. We all want to accomplish those things for which God has called us to do. Therefore, he says in verse 24, Show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. He's saying, listen, a year ago you guys said that you were going to give. They made a pledge. Hey, we're going to help out. Now Paul and his group are coming back around and they're headed toward Jerusalem. So he's saying, hey, now we've been telling everybody about that great heart that you hadn't given. We're coming by for the gift. So prepare it for us. We're coming. Titus and the guys are going to help you get everything ready. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. Don't you love it when the Bible throws in a word like that? Superfluous. Anybody use that this week? <laughs> David, you're the only one. And it, what in sports do you have to call superfluous? <laughs> well, superfluous means it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. I, I don't really need to, to go into this with you guys. Hey, to, to write to you guys about this. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians. That Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Now, as he first he laid out for us these, these five things that we want to see in the men who are handling or women who are handling the money. Now, he says, this is what your gift does. You ever wonder what your gift does? What happens when you give? What does, it, what does it do within the kingdom of God? He's going to tell us. First, your giving, your giving stirs up others. He says right here, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. The others who are watching, who are a part, they want to follow in like manner. Why do we give? Because he first gave for us. He gave for us. For God so loved the world... He gave. Why do we give? Because we want to follow that example. What does our giving do? It stirs up others to give. Not because God is in need of our money, but God is in need of the right attitude in our life. You, you know that God wants to move and use each one of us. And as God stirs us up, as God equips us for the role he wants us to have, the attitude that we have within presenting ourselves to the Lord as servants for him, it matters. It makes a difference. There are people for whom God has called and has a plan for their life, but there's this stronghold in their life. Maybe it's their money, their stronghold in their life. Maybe it's their time. There's a stronghold in their life that they're withholding and their attitude in withholding that from the Lord is stopping them from moving forward. Has nothing to do with amount, has everything to do with what's my attitude. Why we give is to stir up others. Aren't you stirred up when you come around a guy who's, who's constantly wanting to do and be a part of things? It makes us want to be a part. Because we see that example, it stirs up within us the very same thing. And that's what he's saying about the church at Corinth. He says, Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared. He's, He's saying to them, Hey, you guys made a pledge, and the Bible says... Pay your vows to the Lord. Pay your vows to the Lord. Paul's saying it in a very nice way, but he's saying, hey, pay your vows. Anybody ever make a promise to God they didn't keep? I've done it. Made it, oh Lord, I promise if you do this, I'll do that. But every guy in here has done it. Lord, if only she says yes when I ask her out, I promise you, you fill in the blank. And if you say you ain't done it, we're going to have to talk after church about lying. (laughs) We all make those promises. God's word says, pay your vows. That means fulfill your promises. God wants us to be men and women of honor who when you say something, don't you love those people? When you, You don't have to have them sign nothing. They shake your hand and say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Don't you love that? 
Don't you want to be a person like that? That's how God wants us to be. Men and women of your word that are going to fulfill and keep the promises that they give. We, not to mention you, should be ashamed in this confident boasting. He says, listen, we talked about the pledge that you were going to give. You said you were going to do it. We don't want to be ashamed. We don't want to say, oh, yeah, they couldn't do it. Oh, what a bummer, you know. But fulfill what you said you were going to do. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort or encourage the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be as a matter of generosity and not grudging obligation. Okay, what is it? What is it? He never once says it has to be this amount. Whatever they gave, he called it generous. But it was the attitude of the gift that it would be an attitude of generosity and not an attitude of grudging. Nobody likes grudging people. Nobody likes them. It's a wonder we all are like them so often. On Wednesday nights, I've been teaching about the grumbling of the children of Israel going through the wilderness. And it, almost immediately after church, we'll be out there and having a, a piece of cake or a piece of pie or ice cream. You didn't know that, but Wednesdays we have snacks after church. And so we're, we're sitting there and we're enjoying in that time of fellowship. And something will happen and I'll complain and someone will say, Are you grumbling? You were just preaching about grumbling. Don't you hate getting busted? Oh, man. Sure enough, I, I was grumbling. He says, I want this gift that you give to be a generosity, a desire that you have, a desire that says, man, I want to do this for the Lord and not a grudging obligation. Folks, every single service we have, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we need desperately people who are willing to teach the kids. And we are always just short of having what we need. And we can get up and I could, brow, I could take this as an opportunity to browbeat you and make you do it. Good idea. Good idea. <laughs> I can make you, you know, but what good does it do the kids to have a teacher that's there by grudging obligation? Oh, I can't believe I'm stuck with you snotty-nosed little kids. How many want to leave their kids with that teacher? Uh, maybe. Listen, we want, when we give of our time, when we give of our finances, when we give of ourselves, it's got to be a generosity because I want to give. Because I want to please the Lord. Because I want to fulfill the calling that God's put on my life. I want to do it because of the generosity that works within me and not as a grudging obligation. And then he goes on and gives us this parable. Look at verse 6. Of this I say, he who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Folks, we can sit down in our pews and spend your life just coming to church on, on Sunday morning and that can be your whole relationship with the Lord. That can be all of it. But he who sows sparingly, what? Reap sparingly. We all know that, right? You don't know it? Come look at my garden. <laughs> You're not going to see anything on that garden table from my garden. <laughs> my garden it should be bombed. The Bible says if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you just give a little then a little's all there's ever going to be. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, how's it go? That will he also reap. You ever felt like, man, I don't have enough friends in my life. You ever felt that way? What's the Bible say? Whatever a man sows, the Bible says if you want friends, do what? Be friendly. Hey, I could chase away every one of my friends by being a pain in the neck. Right? What I want to be is friendly. Oh, I don't have enough love in my life. Anybody ever feel like I don't, I'm not experiencing the kind of love within the church that should be in the church? What's the Bible say? Whatsoever a man sows, what? He shall also reap. I don't, have an, I don't see enough love 
what, am I, have I sown it? The Bible says if I sow it, I'll reap it. If I sow, I'll reap. But if I sow sparingly, if I'm afraid, oh, I'm just going to give a little, then I'm just going to get a little. One of the greatest blessings seriously in my life was when Kathy and I decided that we were going to start doing Sunday school. We started doing twos and threes. First day of doing twos and threes, I got a kid with red hair bashing a girl's head up against the doorpost. Her head's bleeding. She's crying. He's crying. We forgot a girl in the corner while all this stuff was going on. It was utter chaos. But it was incredible. Why? Because when mom and dad came to pick up their kids, I must have had like 15 kids growing all over me. On this shoulder, on that shoulder. Back then I had long hair. They were playing with my hair. The little girls wanted to braid it, and I can't tell a little girl no. So, <clears throat> so all this stuff was, is going on, but it was a blessing because we were willing to give of ourselves. We received not only materially, but spiritually, God helped us grow. You, you want to grow? Try to learn how to explain the Word of God to a three-year-old. Because you have, to, you have to be able to take it and present it to them in a way they understand. And all the way through, we, we served in each one of the uh, age class, uh, grades as, as our kids were going through and as God called us through junior high, through, through high school. Each one had its challenges. But the more we gave, don't you know, the more we give, God gives us more back in return. You're never going to be a debtor to the Lord. God's not going to be sitting up in heaven and thinking, man, that person just working themselves to the bone. I wish they'd knock that stuff off. Just quit working, you know, don't do anything. That's not God. God's like, right on. Let me pour out more blessing in your life. Let me pour out spiritually. Let me pour out materially. But what's the attitude? Why are you doing it? Right now, if the reason you sign up to do children's ministry after this is so that God will dump a blessing in your lap, you're missing it. It's all about the attitude, right? We have, if we're going to do it, if we're going to give, we have to give how? Joyfully. Cheerfully. Out of the happiness of our heart. That's what God wants. And if we don't have that joy in our heart, then the problem is in here, right? Right? All we have to do is ask the Lord to fix it. He wants to fix it. He wants you to be a blessing. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to experience the joy that He has for you. So He says, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. As you consider this, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, we can hear uh, Jesus speaking to us. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Well, we'll back up a little bit and and read this, this whole attitude that Jesus has. We back up and it says in verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. And do do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who, who only love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that for you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Man, you do a study through the Old Testament, children of Israel walking through, grumbling through the wilderness, complaining, and you realize how merciful God is. He never left them. 
He never forsook them. Every morning, the manna was ready. Their daily bread was always supplied. Whatever they needed. In fact, in the whole time that they wandered in the wilderness, the Bible says their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. Everything that they needed, God supplied. And God says, this is my heart. And he doesn't want you and I to miss it. This is his heart, a heart that gives. A heart that is loving and giving. That gives of itself even when nobody says thanks. God does. And God knows. God knows how you feel. God knows the struggles that you're going through. God says, you are related to me. It's, it's you become a son of the Most High because you're acting like your father. You remember what he said to the Pharisees? You are sons of the devil, your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. Why did he call them that? Because that's who they were acting like. But when we act like him, he says, you are sons of the Most High. For God is merciful. For God is kind. Look what he says. Therefore, be merciful as your father is. Judge not and you will not be judged. We'll talk about that later. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And listen, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, It'll be measured back to you. The same measure that you use. This is God's desire for His children that would follow Him. Give. He who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. He who sows bountifully, will reap bountifully. God wants us to have that attitude of giving. An attitude. And folks, not just talking about finances. We're talking about the whole deal. Giving of ourselves. Giving of our time. Giving of of our finance, giving of whatever, in any way that you might give to the Lord, in all ways that you might give to the Lord, that you would realize that God wants us to have the right attitude when we give. Oh, we're not, He's not going to be a debtor to us. He's not going to be a debtor. You will never outgive God. You might outgive your brother, your sister, your church. But you will never, ever outgive the Lord. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudging or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, not grudgingly. Grudgingly is an attitude of reluctance or regretfulness. If you're giving with reluctance or regretfulness, keep it. It's not doing any good. Just, just hold on to it. If you're going to give, God wants us to give generously, out of a generous heart, a cheerful, happy-to-do-it heart. That's what God wants to come from us. He doesn't want us to give grudgingly, nor of necessity. What's necessity? Forced or manipulated. If you feel forced or manipulated, don't give. Don't do it. Because your your heart your attitude is messed up and because your attitude is messed up you're not going to see anything no fruitfulness from it jack you said if i started helping out and there god would give if i sowed and i'm sowing i he made me do it well no wonder it isn't growing kathy made me do a garden you want to come see how that works You give cheerfully. You do it cheerfully because you want to honor the Lord for what you do. And look what he says in verse 8. Do you believe this? And God is able. That's all you need to read. And God is able. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is able? That He is stronger than your circumstance? That He's stronger than your sickness? That he's stronger than whatever things you might be struggling with. Do you believe God is able? I believe God is able. 
I believe God is able to change my heart. That's why He can say, for anyone that is in Christ is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things become new. Jesus in the book of Revelation says, I make all things new. Isn't that wonderful? I don't want to just be who I, who I was before Christ. I want to be like Christ. I want to be that new creation. And God is able to do above and beyond what you ask or think. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. He says all a lot in that verse. You notice that? Listen, this is what it means. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you... Always having all contentment in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Folks, especially in the United States, we chase that word contentment around the world. It's that next thing that's going to make us happy. It's that next car, the next bike, the next rifle, the next hunting trip, the next animal that I get out in the middle of Africa, the whatever, the next thing. That's the contentment that we're trying to fill the void in our life, the void of contentment. We're trying to fill it in all these other ways and it's going to fall short every single time. What does the Lord say? The Lord says, God loves a cheerful giver, that your life is a life of generosity, then God will give you the grace to be content in all things. Anybody struggling with contentment? Every night when I go to bed, I feel like when I start my prayer, I could lay, I'm, I'm talking to Santa. Lord, I'd like a... Would you give me... Could this just... But what does he want from us? He wants that attitude of generosity, a giving attitude. Just like Jesus spoke in, in, in uh, Luke, when we, when we took a look at the scripture, what did he say? Not just to people who are good to you or people who are deserving, but to whomever asks. Isn't that how Jesus was? Did any of you ask him to die for you? He just did it, right? He just knew that it was needed. He does that. It's his heart. And that's the heart that God wants to see in us. And when we are a cheerful giver of our time, of our finances, of ourselves, then God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always having all contentment. That word sufficiency in the Greek is the same. Contentment, sufficiency. That you have, that all those empty spots in your life are filled up. You ever wonder why, why I gave my life to Jesus Christ and, and, and I'm a believer and I trust Him, but I still struggle with the, the I still feel like there's things missing. I still feel like there's, there's a part that I'm not getting. And the Lord's laying out here for us. It's that attitude of giving that we want to have the same attitude God had for us. An attitude of generosity. An attitude of generosity with ourselves, with our time, with our money. It shows that God is on the throne in our life. But he only wants it when it can come out of the joy in our heart. If it's not coming out of the joy in our heart, he says, you got something wrong in your heart. I need to do heart surgery. I need you to open yourself up before me and allow me to do a work in your life. So God will go in and he will fix it for God is able. For it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Psalm 112. But unlike some of the other Psalms, this, his righteousness endures forever, is talking about the guy who gives. He's talking about the guy who has that generous heart, that giving heart. It says, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. It, the, the attitude is that when we have that attitude of cheerfulness in the things we do, and what we do with our lives, what we do with our finances for the Lord, that we realize that it's in that that we're going to find that contentment. For godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain. That's the kind of contentment that I want. And if I want to have that kind of contentment, then it starts with my attitude in giving. In every way. Giving of my time. Giving of what the Lord has given me. Look what he says in verse 10. Now... May he who supplies seed to the sower 
and bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You say, you can't outgive God. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, it's God who gave you everything you have in the first place. Oh, no, the Lord didn't help me when I was in college studying to get this degree, to get this job, to make this big paycheck. Sure he did. Not only that, he helped the fellow for whom you're working and the business that you're working for. Let me tell you something. The Bible tells us that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality. That was a fruit of the sin that was in their life. What was the sin? They had fullness of food, idleness of time, and they didn't care for the poor. Think about anybody else that might fit that category. How about the United States? Breadbasket of the world. A few years ago, within the last 20, 50 years, we could have fed every starving child. We could feed them all. Don't kid yourself into thinking we can't. We have, as a nation, the ability to do that. But we chose rather to pay farmers not to plant. Right? Or to hold silos full of grain and not sell it so that we could drive up the price. I understand economics, but God's not an, an economy major. He works outside of that. God says, you give, and I'll give to you. You sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. You ever notice that our nation is kind of in a radical spiral away from the Lord? Yeah, that puts it mildly, huh? <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't know, I don't know how much further we can get. We have a president who is probably at least a closet Islamic fundamentalist, if not an outright full-on... I don't even know what he is. <laughs> yeah, but, but look, we didn't get there overnight. 1933... A group of people got together and said, you know, we need to start a movement. They called the movement the humanist movement. The, one of the first primary statements in a humanist manifesto is, there is no God, we must save ourselves. The next thing they did is they took prayer out of school. Then they started taking the Ten Commandments off of walls. Then they started withdrawing away from the blessing of living our lives for the Lord and Savior who blessed this country and made it who it is. It had nothing to do with any of them guys running around in the funny looking clothes in the Revolutionary War shooting people because they were so good. It was God's blessing on a nation that honored Him. And God's blessing is not on this nation anymore. It's not there. And we're seeing the beginning of the fallout. Does that mean we should weep and cry and and moan like the children of Israel in the wilderness? Hey, every hardship is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you and me to realize that God is calling His people to revival. His people to change their heart. And allow God to pour out His Spirit upon His body. For what purpose? So that we can have plenty? No. Remember, what's the main thing? The Jesus Christ, the gospel, that the Lord will know that we are being His witnesses to a world that is struggling for answers and everything it does is wrong. Because everything it does is in opposition to the Lord. Everything. God's calling us to stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. For, for your town, for your families, for your friends. Stand in the gap. Nehemiah told the men, he said, Men, listen, you need to fight for your families. As nothing's changed today, you need to fight for your families. Because everything out there will rip off your kids and lie to them and tell them that all their contentment is going to be found somewhere else. Now, you who have lived a few years, did you find contentment in all that stuff? Did you find contentment in, in partying with your friends, drinking booze, being wild and crazy and free? Did that fill you with contentment or just with more emptiness? Because that's what the world can give, just more emptiness, just more hunger. But Nehemiah said to the men, you take a trowel in this hand and a sword in this hand and you fight for your family. While you build your, your community, you fight for your family. And God honored that. 
And God, I believe, calling us to that again. But in the United States, folks, we got to check our attitude. Because our attitude is messed up. We have meitis, and we got to get out of that and realize that God wants us to live for others, not for ourselves. It's not about what I can get. It's about what I can give. Well, that won't work. Then we won't have anything. You're right. It didn't work. The, the church in Jerusalem, case in point, right? I mean, they had all things in common. They didn't have anything. And then Paul had to go all around the world and ask people for an offering to bring to him. And you know, when he brought that offering, they still didn't have anything. Nothing. In 70 AD, things got so bad that Titus Vespasian brought a Roman army up against Jerusalem and made the worst siege in human history. The Bible says that people would eat their children. They were so hungry. They would scrape bird droppings off the roof and eat that. And that, God's church was there in that place. Huh. But you know what else? Titus, for some reason, he relaxed the grip of the siege for a period of time. And people left. You know who left? The church. Well, how come the church people left? They didn't own anything anymore. They didn't have no houses. They didn't have no businesses. They didn't have no money. They didn't have anything that was holding them there. So they were there. They bore witness to the people. And when God said, go, they left. So God was watching out for them. He didn't give them everything they thought they should have. They didn't all get a new Harley because they gave so cheerfully. (laughs) What they did have, what they did have was their lives, their loves, the things that really matter. God gave them all those things. He wants us to have that same attitude. He wants us to realize He supplies everything we need. In verse 11 He says, While you are enriched in in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Listen, He he lays out for us another thing that our giving does. Another thing that our giving does is it causes people to be thankful to the Lord. When that gift that we gave through the boss stocks, gets to Vietnam and starts to affect people's lives. You don't think they're going to shout to the Lord, thank you? Our giving causes people to be thankful. Our giving encourages people to be giving. All of these things the Lord is calling us to. He wants us to have the right kind of heart that, that He desires for us to have. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, not only does it feed the hungry, not only does it help the orphan, not only does it help the, the, the fatherless, the motherless, the widow, not only does it do the things that it ought to do, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. People are honoring the name of God when God's people are generous when God's people give. Yeah, but Jackie, somebody's going to take advantage. They didn't take advantage of me. They're taking advantage of God. Not my problem. I don't want to be that person. Do you? Because God is able to rattle your tree. God is able to open your eyes, isn't he? God knows what he's doing. I don't have to be a defender for him. He just wants me to be generous, to be generous, to have the same attitude he had. Verse 13, he goes on. Now, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. He says, listen, not only they're thankful, but God's getting all the glory. People are praising the Lord. People are glorifying the Lord based on that heart, that generosity, that attitude of giving. I'll I'll be honest with you. Every parent whose child is being blessed and honored in, in Sunday school gives God praise and glory that someone loves children enough to minister to their children. 
Every mom who, who's had their baby wake up 42 times last night and doesn't remember what sleep is, is thankful when she comes to church and there's someone who lo- will love her baby in the nursery so she can worship the Lord. And they will glorify God. Why? Because we are being generous. We're giving. That's what God wants of us. That's what God desires of us. And then by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. What do you gain? Man, people are praying for you. People are giving thanks for you. People are glorifying God on your behalf. And God does keep track. Isn't that good news? Jackie will forget. God, he doesn't forget. You ever heard that you can't take nothing with you? That is a lie. You can take something with you. You can take what you send ahead. How do I send it ahead? Well, Paul told us in Corinthians, everything that I do that I give with a cheerful, generous heart to the honor of Jesus Christ goes ahead for me. And when you arise when you arise and arrive in heaven, and you're standing before the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and someone walks up to you, and they shake your hand, and they say, man, I've just been waiting for you to get here. I want to thank you for that gift you gave. I'm saved. Oh, maybe you don't even know. Or for that time, I, I was a child in Sunday school and you were there and you taught me to pray and you, and you helped me understand who God is. And I'm here in heaven today because you gave. You send it ahead. And heaven's going to be filled with that. It's going to be filled with people who are there because of our willingness to give, to share, to be generous. To say, here I am, God, use me. I I can't do none of that stuff, Jackie. I am no good at anything. Well, you're good at something. You're good at humility. (laughs) No, really, I can't do anything. Listen, all God requires is a willingness. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. When God calls, lays something on your heart, He says, remember, do you believe God is able? I believe. And he's able to give you the words to share. To give you the heart to love. To give you everything you need for the glory of the Father. Because he wants to pour out that love in your life. And then he goes on to tell us, listen, why are we doing all this? Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Our giving is a response to what God has already done. Our giving is a response. I, I can't even describe what Jesus has done for me. Can you? I mean, I can't even begin to describe the, the change he's wrought in my life, the, the healing he worked in my marriage, the, the beauty he brings out of every circumstance in my life that I think is just junk. And then God touches it, and somehow the, the worst things turn into gold right before my eyes. I don't know. I have no words. But... Praise God for his indescribable gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. God just gives it. But what we give is our gift to him. What we do with that gift, that's our gift to him. What we give, though, God says... I don't care what it is. I want the attitude. The attitude of the widow who gave everything she had. Some folks, who she got home, I'm sure, and her neighbor said, you're the dumbest person I know. You put the last two mites you had. Now, how are you going to have bread? How are you going to pay the rent? How are you going to do all these other things? But she knew something her neighbor didn't. What did she know? God is able. I guarantee you, it's all right, man, I sneeze too. I guarantee you, that widow did not want for anything. She may not have had a big fancy house, 
But when she needed bread, it was there. When she needed, God provided. Why? Her attitude was great. Children of Israel wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Most of the ones who arrived at Kadesh Barnea perished. Why? Their attitude was not good. They didn't get it. And they never sought the Lord to make the attitude right in their heart. Folks, God wants to pour out His Spirit in these days upon His church. But His church needs to get her heart right. I got to get my heart right. You got to have your heart right. We got to have the right attitude in what we give. It's got to be right. Not keeping track of who did how many hours or who did what or what did somebody else do, but just fulfilling the call God puts on me. I got to do what God wants me. It's my race to run, not somebody else's. I want to run it to win. I want to run it for all I'm worth. But my heart needs to be right. So we're going to spend a moment in prayer this morning and just have, as, as we come before the Lord with an attitude of prayer, and as the worship team comes up to, to lead us in worship, we, we want to have that attitude that says, hey, listen, I want, to, I want to have the right heart in me. I need the right heart. It's not hard. Jesus said, just, yeah, just ask. Just ask. Let the mind of Christ be in you. Give me your mind, and I will give you your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. We praise you for this time we can come before you. And Lord, we thank you for this teaching on giving. It's so necessary within each one of us. And Father, as we come before you now, Lord Jesus, we ask God that you would change our hearts Whatever part of us that is a stronghold, whether it's money or time or, or something else that we're withholding from you, God, we have a wrong attitude. Your, your, your word lays out for us that, that where my treasure is, that's where my heart is, and you are my treasure. You are my treasure. My time is not my treasure. You are. My savings account is not my treasure. You are. My family is not my treasure. You are. God, I need to have the right heart. I, I admit sometimes I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I give like you're calling me to give, if I do what you're calling me to do, then I'm not going to have anything. But, you say I'll have contentment. You say I'll have joy. You say that you will give me everything I need. I just have to believe God is able. So Lord, I ask God that you by your Spirit would move among us this morning, Father God, that we would hold on to that claim. You are able. You will give abundantly above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. So that if I give of my time so that I feel like I have nothing left, you'll give me more. That you'll lead me to find that contentment, to be an example to my family, to help them to grow and be nurtured and loved in a relationship with you, which is the most important thing, that they know you. God, in, in our nation, we are upside down and sideways. We're going the wrong way. We're, we're circling the drain, God, and we need you. But we, your church, we're called to be a light. But some of our lights are under a bushel. And we're not letting the light of Jesus Christ shine in our life because we're afraid. But perfect love casts out fear. God, pour your love into us. The love of God is poured into our lives by the Holy Spirit. 
Father, pour your Holy Spirit upon us. That we can be what you're calling us to be. And may that rushing wind blow through this temple. Drive out the dust within. And equip us and enable us to be who you've called us to be. Children of the Most High ought also to walk as he walked. Children of the Most High ought to be like him. So, Lord, we surrender our strongholds to you. Shine through us. Shine in us. Shine on us. Drive out the darkness within And we, we give you all the praise and the glory for that perfect work you're doing in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.